God, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment? It, it, it certainly is a, a, a regular theme of life. I don't need to ask for a show of hands. There isn't anyone in this room that hasn't dealt with not just modest disappointment, but huge, uh, you know, life-impacting disappointments. Well, I want to read a, a story uh, that you may have read. It's just a brief portion of Scripture that you may have read before and not recognized the profound disappointment that this, this person was struggling with and uh, what, what God did in their life uh, to deal with that disappointment. But if you have a Bible with you, you could open it to Matthew chapter 11. It's the story of John the Baptist. It's, it's almost the end of his story. It starts in verse 1, Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. And it says, after Jesus... Oh, by the way, if you don't have a, uh, a Bible with you, there are paperback Bibles under the chair seats in front of you. And I'll uh, give you a page number here so you can find it if you're not... 676. There you go. Thank you, Jay. And what prize do we have for Jay today? <laughs> Back at the coffee bar, Jay. Matthew 11.1, 1. after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, I, 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 I title this little talk, Blessed are the unoffended. Because some of the translations say, Blessed is the man that isn't offended by me. Blessed is the person who isn't offended by me. And so, uh, let's pray as we, uh, once we've read this and just ask God to open it up to us. Father, uh, I ask in Jesus' name uh, that the blessing that has been on this word uh, since it was spoken, since these, this, these events happened and the life that was revealed there. And then ever since when, when humble, open hearts have, have read this, how you've spoken to them and we just ask that we could have that fresh encounter, that same kind of encounter with you here today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, John has this, there's, there's three parts of this. John has a question, Jesus has an answer, and then, then something happens. Now, in one sense, you don't see what happened, but we can infer what happened because it, this follows a pattern in Scripture that, that maybe you never recognized is there. It's all through Scripture. Disappointment is, is an inevitable part of our lives. But a lot of people uh, experience disappointment, and they just sort of try to move on. Oh, that, that wasn't fun, but, you know, I, I don't have to let that define my life. But... Unless the way you deal with disappointment cleans out 
the wound effectively, uh, you will end up in a prison like John the Baptist was in. Now, John the Baptist was not in some metaphorical prison. He was in a literal prison, and it wasn't because of his disappointment. Being in prison was what gave birth to this disappointment and the doubts that he began to have about Jesus. But he was a Jew raised among people whom God had made his pet project in the world to reveal himself to the world through them and through his interaction with them. Just like us, we're all that are followers of Jesus. We're spiritual Israel now. You're the Jews in the world who God is interacting with to reveal himself to the world. And so John followed, he, he knew, he'd, he'd been nurtured on this simple model of how to deal with disappointment, and he was walking it out here in this passage for us. It's really simple. But John, you, if you know anything about his story, John was uh, the, the prophet of all prophets. He was the last prophet to come on the scene, and his job was to identify Jesus for Israel and confirm that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And we read, like, the book of John. And over and over, John points at Jesus and says, this is the Lamb of God that, that you're supposed to follow. And his disciples all started following Jesus, and that, he wasn't upset because of that. That was what his role was. And he had seemed to be so sure, but now he's not. What happened? What happened? Uh, have you ever experienced that in your life? You're so sure that God loves you. You're so sure uh, that God will answer prayer. You're so sure of this. You're so sure of that. Then all of a sudden you come to this time where you just go, wow, I don't have any faith at all about that anymore. And you wonder, what, what happened between that moment and now? Well, a lot of times disappointment happens. And disappointment becomes doubt, and it, and it, it will just cascade into a lot of bad outcomes. If we don't recognize when we have disappointment, there's something we're supposed to do with it. And that's what John did here. And John's disappointment was the Messiah wasn't just going to heal and raise the dead and preach the good news to the poor, although it was good news to the poor. The the, the good news to the poor was that God was going to bring justice into the world and that the powerful were not going to continue to be able to unjustly prey on the, power, the less powerful. But that is exactly what was happening to John because he was thrown into prison by Herod because he said to Herod, you're sinning against God by seducing your brother's wife and then marrying her. That's, that was one of his sermons one day. And he got arrested and put in prison for that. And he's sitting there in prison. He goes from the desert to the dungeon. And you may think, well, I don't really like either of those places, but the desert is still preferable to the dungeon. He's in the dungeon, and he's meditating on God's promises, and he's thinking, the Messiah is supposed to help people like me. I'm being unjustly treated by people in power. And the disappointment of his mistreatment of the pain began to cause doubts. And those doubts began to grow. And his disciples that he had faithfully pointed to Jesus, now he points them to Jesus. 
But not to go follow Jesus, but to ask Jesus, are you the one or do we look for someone else? Maybe I was wrong. You ever wondered sometimes about your faith that way, like I said before? Maybe I was wrong about this. Maybe I, you know, I, I just did. I, I, was, I was caught up in a moment of enthusiasm and, and I was, you know, confused. That happens to all of us. It happens to the best of us. That's one of the points you can take away from this story. The best people in the world, the people with the most faith. Jesus, after this passage, if you keep reading here in in Matthew 11, Jesus commends John the Baptist as this exemplary person. And so if you ever feel bad about your doubts or struggling with disappointment, don't. I mean, don't not feel bad. You can't help but not feel bad. But don't look at yourself as some kind of second-class person because if you just had enough faith, you'd never doubt. You, disappointments would just like, you know, be like water off a duck's back in your life. No. They're deeply impacting. Life is supposed to impact us. And when it impacts us in bad ways, you know, John shows us. Here's what we're supposed to do. John didn't just ignore it. He didn't just move on. He didn't just try to white-knuckle it. He did what, what he'd been taught to do. And secondly, not only should we not berate ourselves or beat ourselves up because we have doubts... The church, the vineyard, should be a safe place for people to wrestle with doubts, to face their disappointments, to struggle, to ask questions. I can't tell you the people who have come, you know, uh, the vineyard seems to be a place that people come who've, been, uh, who've not been able to connect with God through all kinds of other means, or they've been in a church and they've had the living you-know-what beat out of them, and they kind of just wash up on our shore like Tom Hanks and Castaway. <laughs> and they, they struggle in one day, you know, they kind of, they're dragging their compound fractured leg in the door, but they don't come in that way. When you come into the vineyard that way, people usually walk in, you know, they have a smile on their face, and, and we're trying to hide the wreckage. And stories like this tell us we don't have to do that. And the church is supposed to be a place where people who are struggling with doubt, people who fail, people who are failures can come. I mean, can you imagine how hard it was for John to kind of look like he's not in command to his disciples? I mean, don't we all like to put on the face that we've got it all together? John's showing us something here. And, he's, and, he's, and what he's doing is he's just echoing what the church has said for you know, 2,000 years, what Jesus taught us. The only people who Jesus is here for is the weak and the worst, which is everybody. But not everybody's willing to admit that. And the church is a place for the weakest and for the worst, which is everybody. And... It's the disappointments in life that get us in touch with we really are weak or we really are the worst or we're weak and we're the worst. And that's not very flattering for us for our pride, but that, that's, a, that's, that's a facade. That's, that's just a, a mask that we wear because we're empty inside. And God wants to fill that emptiness. And, and it doesn't change that we're weak or sometimes we're not the best person we could be, but God's grace begins to change that part of us. We, in, in our weakness, we find his strength. 
In our failure, we find his righteousness, and we begin to grow and come out of it. And we, we can be who we are then, which is all we can be anyway. And the world teaches us the opposite. It says, hide those doubts, you know, fake it, those disappointments, and, and don't be the weak person. Don't admit it when you're wrong. The cool thing about admitting things when you're wrong is people respect you. The people whose, whose opinion should matter of you the most, God's and, and the best people around you, they will look at your failures when you admit it, and they will respect you for it, hopefully. I know God will. So Jesus answered him and said, uh, answered his disciples because John's in prison, and, and if you read the same uh, story in the book of Luke, it says the disciples came to Jesus and he asked these questions. And Jesus, it says at that very time, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. So it's like this. Jesus is in a meeting or getting ready to start a meeting, let's imagine. And John's disciples come, a little crowd of them come up. They all come up together. Uh, John the Baptist sent us with a question for you. He's, you know, a little concerned about uh, whether you're the Messiah or not, or are you? Are you the coming one, which was, a, was a, a, a term, a phrase, a title, the coming one, the, 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 the one who's coming with power and glory from God. In Daniel 7, this, this figure, uh, the son of man, this, the king, the king who rules over everything was going to come in to Israel and come into the world. He was going to come from Israel into the world, and that was Jesus. Are you that one, or do we look for someone else? And so John, uh, John's disciples, they're, they're like, what's the answer? And he goes, hold on. And he starts doing all the works that the Messiah was going to do in front of them. And then he says, go back and tell John what you saw and heard. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen someone get healed before. But when people get healed, they have a very distinct reaction. I I remember a while back, just without telling the whole story, being with a group of people and praying for someone to get healed of this pretty significant uh, injury. And they were healed of it, and they began to weep with joy because the pain went away. Boom, it just went away. And there's this very human reaction. Well, when, you, when, when you're the disciples who are staying there asking Jesus this question, and he prays for people, and they see the dead are being raised, and the blind are receiving their sight, and the, the, the deaf are hearing, and the dumb are speaking, and the lame are walking, and, and the, the poor of the gospel preached to them. In other words, the people that nobody matters, they matter to God, and God shows it through Jesus. That pretty much sums up everything, but... It didn't address the question that John was really asking was, are you going to bring justice too? And he was. But it was was cryptically put into this last line that Jesus gave them. He said, blessed are those who don't stumble over me. And we know later that the cross where Jesus was going to die for our sins and where justice was going to... Because see, justice has to be established first in the forgiveness of sins and then it gets worked out into the structures of the world. But injustice is in the heart of people. It's not just in unjust structures. 
And unjust structures can't be changed unless the hearts of the people who run the unjust structures change first. And so Jesus had to come and become sin for us and take on the sin of the world, of the unjust structures and the people who run them so that their hearts would be transformed and then they would begin to take seriously the responsibility they've been given to care for the weak and the poor and the hurting and the needy. And Jesus said, though, to the disciples and to others, the cross is going to offend you. In fact, the thing about God is God constantly offends us. He offends us right and left because we have no idea how skewed our perspective is about almost everything. And when God shows up and, he, and his truth breaks into our lives, it offends us. We don't like something about the truth. And John is going to get this message through his disciples. But his disciples are hearing it first, and then the audience is hearing this conversation, and then we're hearing it. All these people are hearing what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, blessed are those who don't get offended. And you may ask, well, gosh, offenses. Jesus said, uh, offenses are inevitable. Uh, But woe to the person who causes people to stumble unnecessarily. But God, what, what disappointments do is they expose our weakness that we're weak and that we are the worst version. We're, we're not the best version of ourselves. We're weak and we're, part, we're among the worst. We don't think of ourselves that way. We like to think of ourselves as strong and among the best people. And those moments that, that we're confronted with the fact that we're neither of those, the way that we should be, we try to hide it and fight it. And so God said, And, you know, the the three things that we celebrate about the life of Jesus, the three holidays that we mark on our calendars, what are they? Starts in December, Christmas, his birth, Good Friday, his death, Easter, his resurrection. The two bookends holidays were both done in private. But the public holiday, the public event of Jesus' life, the event that everyone saw was his crucifixion. Everybody saw that. Everybody had to come to terms with it because God was saying, I know the truth about you. And the truth about you is going to offend you. But I'm, I'm, I'm taking the truth and I'm... I'm Wrapping it in love so that you can put your arms around it and embrace it. I heard the story of a, a man in Wales uh, who ran a uh, retreat center, and he just felt led to put this cross on the hill over the little village. And he said that uh, people would go out to this cross. And they would have these, they would, they would sit out there to, to meditate on it and think about, you know, some scripture. And they would have these in profound encounters with God. Just profound. I listened to the story after story. I thought, wow, 
That doesn't happen in our lobby. We have a cross there. But it was, this, it was, it was a prophetic thing that God led them to, to erect over their town. And one day, a, a man came to uh, the cross, and he had been deeply abused as a person. And he was very angry about it. And he was angry at God. And as he came there, he became as a Christian. He was a, a genuinely, uh, per, a genuine person of faith. And he was coming there with all the other Christians, you know, to have a retreat. And as he wandered out and saw that cross, at a certain point, all these feelings that he had pretty much, these disappointments in his life, they, they started coming to the surface. And he got in touch with this anger he had. He started pounding on the cross and just screaming at God in his anger and frustration. God, you're unfair. How could you let that happen to me? And, and he was just almost surprised. It was like another person speaking through his voice because he had just buried all that stuff. And, and some people were walking by, and they, they heard some of it. And then they saw him stop at a certain point. And he just began to, just began to tears began to, not tears of anger anymore, but just these gentle tears, and, and he wrapped his arms around the cross suddenly and just began to weep and weep and weep and weep. And people felt awkward. It just seemed to be such a you know, personal moment. There were people that were with his, the, the group, the retreat group. And anyway, they heard his story later of, the, of this encounter with God he had where he just poured all this out and God spoke to him and said, you know, I, I want you to know you weren't alone in all that, even if you felt like you were. But all of what you went through was poured out into my son, Jesus, whom you believe, but you don't know that he's carried that for you, and he's welcoming you to give it to him. And anyway, he, he, he just instinctively reached out and put his arms around the cross and leaned on it. And he said it was like all this hurt and anger and everything just poured out of him. It was like it was pouring into Jesus. And it just changed his life. He, he told a story. He wrote a letter back and said, you know, my life is completely different. And there was no one there sort of mediating this event and this, this moment. But the cross is this place where what we don't want to see about ourselves, we have to see. Because if, we, if we'll face it and not stumble over it, then we can be set free. And John had to learn he too was a broken man. He too was not, despite him being you know, a man of great integrity and, and compared to all the other people around him, he still was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And he, he knew that when he was baptizing Jesus and he confessed it, but sometimes we can lose sight of that. And we can become uh, self-righteous. And I don't, we don't know what was going on in John's heart. But his disciples went back to tell him all this. But Jesus said, blessed are those who aren't offended at me. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to be offended at something that he says or something that, that he, he's done or something that he asks of you. But what John, what, what John knew is, are you that coming one or do we look for someone else? Because the truth is we're going to trust someone or something. 
And John was hearing from Jesus this message, will you trust me even though things are not working out the way you think they should work out? That is the question that we all have to come to terms with at some point in our lives, usually over and over and over. Maybe you're at that point here today. Maybe you've been at that point for a while, but you've just been trying to fake it until you make it. You're just trying to move on, you know, because that disappointment was jarring to your life, and it's still affecting you, but you haven't been able to make sense of it. You haven't been able to get past it. And maybe a series of disappointments, little and big. John, in, in his question to Jesus, he understood something. And this is the thing. If, if you let disappointment define your life, you will mouth faith, but in your heart you will trust something else. Because trust is an ever-flowing thing in our lives. We will trust someone or something. And John knew, I'm only going to trust God. And if you're not the one that God sent, I'm going to turn and trust the one who he sent, who's coming. But you have to understand, if you're disappointed because something important in your life has not worked out the way you want, and maybe it never looks like it's going to work out the way you want, you can be in a prison like John was for the rest of your life. And you can be walking around, quote-unquote, free. But you're, you're trapped by the disappointment. John was set free, I believe. His story had a happy ending. But only because he chose to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you, even though things are not working out the way I want. I mean, at the end of his life, he had his head cut off because of his stand for the truth. But he settled the question of who he's going to trust in that dungeon. And even though he was chained and under the, under the power of the state, he was set free. And he was set free from his disappointment. But how did that happen? Well, if, if disappointments are a way of life, you know, how can we not be offended? Almost mechanically, how can we not be offended? And, and how can we ever be blessed? Because Jesus said, blessed are the people who choose not to be offended. But if offense, the feelings of offense over things not working out the way you want them to are just automatic, how do you overcome that? Is it possible? Well, I'm, I'm serious. All through the Bible, there's this simple pattern that John showed us here. In fact, like if you go to the book of Habakkuk, which I'm going to read a passage from there in a moment, the whole book of Habakkuk is this pattern spelled out in the structure of the book. Something bad's going down. Habakkuk says, God, how can you let this happen? He voices his disappointment, and God answers him. Then the answer offends him, and he says, God, I'm even more offended now. How can that be true? And then God gives him another answer. And, at the end, and it's not, in his eyes, a satisfactory answer. But at the end of it, here's what he says. Habakkuk says, I heard. So when God spoke to him and gave him this answer, 
He knew, and this is the, this is the, the option we all have. You can trust God who's, who's great and who's good. Or you can trust someone else. And, and the truth is, you'll end up trusting yourself. And if you've ever trusted in yourself, how's that working for you? It doesn't work very well, does it? We can keep some things together depending on ourselves. But it's, it's a sandcastle. Self-confidence is a sandcastle. It will, it will just erode over time before your eyes. And Habakkuk knew, no matter how much I don't like what you've said, or I don't understand or it offends me, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do things your way. And here's what he said. He was honest. He said, in response to God's promise, even though it wasn't going to look the way he wanted it, he said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. So God was saying, I'm going to judge evil in your midst by this nation. But they're going to be, they're more evil than the evil that you're committing. And so I'm going to eventually judge them. And he gave them this sequence of events that didn't mean anything's going to get better anytime soon. And so he was honest and he said, oh, this, is, this sounds really hard. Then he says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the, and the fields produce no food, and there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God, my Savior. And that's what the people of God, that's the pattern right there. That, the book of Habakkuk, it's, it's in the Psalms. It's in the life of Jesus. Jesus was on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he cried out in his grief for everyone to see. And then he said, into your hands I commit my spirit. So he entrusted God. We can't get to trust until we get to the disappointment. And so it's real simple. The pattern that John showed us here is it has three parts to it. And each part has a blessing that goes with it. In fact, I'm just going to give you one blessing. I, I could list many for each part of this and for the whole thing. Voice your disappointments and doubts and questions to God and about God freely. Voice them freely. Voice them in the company of trusted people of faith. See what John did? He voiced his doubts freely to his disciples. They were the people that were looking to him for maturity and, and counsel and wisdom and an example. He was giving them the best example he could because he knew someday they were going to be in the ditch and they were going to have disappointments and doubts. And he was saying, hold on, this is how you deal with it. And so he, he didn't just keep it inside. It wasn't just him and God. The cross shows us the life that we're trying to live is this life that's integrated between us and God and us and other trusted people. Not everybody, but trusted people. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he went into the garden. And he, and he stepped aside. And he called out to God, but he, put, he brought some friends with him. You see this pattern? 
Jesus was going, he, he was honest with God amongst friends, but he voiced it to God. See, this is a crucial thing. If you just pour your heart out and all the messy stuff that's in your heart just to a group of people, that can be very destructive unless it's turned to God. Do you understand? Our words have power. And this is the difference between complaining to God and complaining to people. In Israel, when they complained, when the leaders complained, it infected the people and God brought discipline. But the book of Psalms gives voice to all these complaints that are just, I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty gnarly to listen to. And yet we're taught to pray those things, but they're going to God. Do you see the difference? Can you see the difference? You guys nod your heads with me if you get it. If you don't, go like that. Okay, a lot of goods. Okay. Now, all of us have done the vomiting on people, haven't we? And we need to get that stuff up and out, right? But we need to get it out in the company of trusted people to the one that we can trust the most, God our Father. And that's exactly what John did. See, he didn't keep it in. He's in the prison. And he knows he's in more than a physical prison. He's in the prison of his disappointment. And he knows, I've got to regain my trust in God. And so I'm going to come bring him a voice this. Because he knew if this was the Messiah, which he wasn't totally sure, but he was, he was taking a, a step of faith. He was acting on the faith he had had. He voiced it. He voiced it. And he got the answer. It might not have been the answer he wanted immediately. Because the answer didn't include, John, I'm going to get you out of there. Now, a couple more books from the Bible after this. The situation happens again. Peter's in prison. The church begins to cry out to God. God sends an angel. Peter wakes up. There's an angel in the, in the jail cell with him. He's chained to, to, other, uh, to his guards. That must have been a funky job, right? You're, you're chained to the prisoners. The, pr- the chains fall off him. The prison door opens. He thinks he's having a dream. He walks out the door. The other door, it's just like a, a cascade of doors open to get him out of the prison. He walks out. All of a sudden, the angel disappears, and he realizes, I've been delivered. Why was he delivered and John executed? Are we going to trust God? That's the question. Are we going to trust God? You're going to trust God? Who's good? Or are you going to trust something else? You're going to trust yourself? See, Jesus doesn't say you need blind faith. He didn't send John back with more confusion. He showed John, who, res- who respected the authority of scriptures and who knew well what all those healings meant. These are my credentials, John. These are the credentials of the Messiah. This is answering your question. But it's not totally answering it because you're going to suffer injustice. There are people who are going to die of illnesses and things, who are going to carry struggles in their bodies their whole life. Some of you in this room will. Some of our prayers for deliverance are going to be heard now. Some are going to be heard later. Whatever sickness you have in your body right now, there's going to come a day when we're resurrected where that sickness is going to be gone, period, forever. 
You'll never feel it again. Every tear will be dried. There's just going to be a completely different experience in the world. But now we have a question. Jesus asked him, are you going to stumble over this? The way things are, are you going to trust me? Each one of us have to come to terms with that. That is a question. It is the most direct question God could ask you today. Is if you have fig tree, figs that haven't bloomed, if you have no sheep in your pen, if there's no harvest in the field, if there's no cattle, those were all images Habakkuk invoked. They were images of Israel. They were images of Israel flourishing under God's blessing. And God was saying, that flourishing will happen, but it's going to happen in my way, in my timing. Will you trust me? And I just think the Lord is saying, you can trust me today. Look at the cross. Look at what I'm willing to do for you. That's all. The cross is in every passage in the Bible. And that's the message. You know, Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you except the cross of Jesus. Because that's the only thing that gets us through life's disappointments. That is it. And that, that we learn because of the cross to voice those disappointments to God freely. Don't stuff them. Don't fake it. We learn to do it in the context of trusted people. But we bring it to God. And we invoke his presence. We get rid of the stuff until it's gone. I'm going to ask you to, to do what I did. I've had heart problems for 30 years, 25 years, plus years. And I remember back in uh, the mid-90s, having, being in a, a, uh, the next step down from the critical care unit at, at Riverside Hospital. And I, I just had all these heart problems, and I had died, and they resuscitated me. And uh, I'm, I'm, after all the procedures are over, I'm laying in a hospital bed, and people are visiting me, and finally everyone leaves. And I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, God, why is this happening to me? You know, why? Here I'm, 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 I'm 30 years old, 35 years old. I forget how old I was when it first started happening. I'm super healthy. I mean, I, I, nobody in my family has this. Well, why, why do I have this? I was going in and out of the hospital. You know, my kids were freaking out because they'd wake up in the middle of the night and the emergency squad's in their house taking their dad down the stairs and, uh, you know, and they're shocking me. And it, it was just a miserable experience for, for years. And I still have it. Nothing's changed. But I remember laying in that hospital bed and realizing i got to tell God about all the stuff that I feel. And I just began to tell him. And I began to weep. Just be like, oh, God, this isn't fair. Why should I have to go through this? You know, I've been faithful to you and all these things. And I just got to this point where I got all that out. And I just said, okay, Lord, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. If I die, I'm going to trust my kids in your care. Because that was the thing I was most worried about. We didn't have any money. Uh, and I said, God, if, if this is because I'm serving you, I'm not going to stop serving you. If the enemy is killing me and you let him kill me, I'm not going to stop serving you. It wasn't like I was you know, 
the greatest servant in the world. But I was just covering every base and saying, I'm going to trust you no matter what. And I remember laying there and just experiencing the sense of the presence of the Lord come over me. Now, like I said, nothing's changed. I'm, I'm sitting here today, and my heart's in atrial fibrillation. You know, I've been in it for months. I got uh, $115,000 surgery uh, four months ago. It didn't work. Probably going to have to have it again. I've been prayed for more times than I can imagine about my heart by the most famous people I know. I'm still here. And it's not easy. It comes back. But I just, I just realize. I look at the cross and go, I can trust him. He's good and he's great. If he doesn't show it to me now, he will eventually. Because I'm not going to not trust it. And I urge you today, if you're in the throes of wrestling with disappointment, to do that same thing. And just say, no matter what, no matter what happens to me, you're still God, you're still great, and you're still good, and you're faithful, and I'm going to hold on to you. I'm going to trust you. And, and when I'm too weak to trust you, I'm going to trust you to give me strength to trust you. Because you're the author and the finisher of my faith. So I want you to stand. And uh, Shanna, you're still... We sing that song. Uh, gosh, I forgot his name that wrote it, sang it. Anyway, it's a song from the about 10, 15 years old. It, it, it goes, blessed be your name. Though I walk in the desert place, uh, you know, the, and it's, it's a sort of a bittersweet song. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you when times are good. I'm going to bless you when times are bad. And as, as we're closing the service, uh, as we sing this song, anytime you need to leave, you, you're welcome to leave. Uh, but I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Lord. You know where in your life the fig tree has it bloomed. It's very personal to each of you. You know the disappointment that's there. And, and the Lord does too. And, and as you sing this song, bring that disappointment to him and do what John the Baptist did. Just tell the Lord in your heart, or if you need to out loud while people are singing around you, what that's been like. But at some point, as you're able, begin to bless him and confess your trust in him by singing this song. And it may be a song you have to pull out over and over and do this all again, but do it with other people around you. Do it in a way where people know what's going on in your life. Don't hold these struggles inside. Get, gather some people together and do this with them. Bring all this stuff out in the open. You'll break the power of shame in your life. You'll break the power of pride in your life. You'll deepen your friendships. Most of all, most of all, you'll experience the presence of God and the comfort of God and the perspective of God that you desperately need. So let's pray for a second. Lord, as we sing this song, uh, we thank you for, Jesus, you blazing this trail before us that you live through Episode after episode of disappointment and struggle and the ultimate one on the cross for us. We, we just give you honor here today. As we sing this song, we want to declare our trust in you. You are the one. You are the one that can be trusted with everything. 
You are faithful and true. You've proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. As we sing this song, we want to confess that trust in you. We want to open our hearts up to you and invite you to come and comfort us and give us your perspective and give us your presence in Jesus' name.